Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And we would like for you to just, just take a moment to imagine Benjamin Franklin in space. Now, Benjamin Franklin had his... Uh, With his old-timey clothes on? Oh, yes, yes, the whole nine yards. Uh-huh. We, we, we're not going to skimp on this. If, okay. If Benjamin Franklin in, in space, we want 100% Benjamin Franklin in space. Okay. That means, uh, you know, the experiments, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the pro- proclivity for, uh, for French, uh, ladies of, uh, of ill repute. Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. Um, oh, sorry, that was Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, and, uh. You might have liked mac and cheese. Okay, no. I'm seeing this. I'm seeing him holding onto a kite. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. And I'm seeing him with his uh, spacesuit on over his old-timey clothes. Yes. But then walking out onto the uh, the exterior area of the ship. Okay. For his uh, his air bath. Ah, uh, I yeah. knew I knew you were going to take us there, Robert Lamb. Yeah. When you say air bath, you mean a jaunt in the nude. Yes, because because uh, Benjamin Franklin, of course, he uh, he was a big fan of of sleeping half the night through, then mm-hmm. getting up and uh, spending a little time just sitting around in the buff in the open air, reading mm-hmm. a little bit, and then uh, getting tired again and going back to bed. And there there's a, there's a lot of, there are a lot of studies that show that this is probably actually uh, a, a very reasonable way to sleep. Yeah, now, the, the no, nude no. reading is you know left to to the the individual's discretion. Right, I was going to say the the getting up in the middle of the night and sort of maximizing sleep patterns, not necessarily ha- taking an air bath as he called it. Yes, nude. Now, of course, there's no air outside of a spaceship. Right. Um, so if Benjamin Franklin did venture out of the airlock in the buff, mm-hmm. what would happen? You know, would would His uh, eyeballs would bulge? He would explode into a million <laughs> meat pieces. Yes, and froze. He would freeze and shatter. I mean, meat popsicles. That's the thing. We've we've seen so many different versions of what this might consist of in science fiction. Mm-hmm. And if you look look at the various things that have been written about it too, from even from a scientific perspective, um, it can get a little confusing at times because our ideas have sort of shifted over time, and uh, and and some some things that we thought would happen haven't really happened, and. Thankfully, it's not something we have a tremendous amount of data on because we we aren't just throwing naked astronauts out the airlock in space. Uh, no. We're not uh, doing a whole bunch of uh, horrific uh, uh, decompression experiments just to see what would happen in these cases. Uh, instead, we're taking all due precautions with our uh, our astronauts and ensuring that these highly valuable individuals can carry on their daily tasks uh, in safety. Yeah, and so we we thought we would take this. Uh sci-fi trope, this death by vacuum, Mm -hmm. and really examine it and see what would happen and the various ways that that we do try to protect our astronauts. Yeah. So a good starting place for this is to to mention just a few of the the more notable examples uh, that we'll refer back to as we uh, progress. First of all, there is uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, which we often mention, and and everyone pretty much often mentions as one of the, the best uh, sci-fi films of all time, and really, there's nothing like it. I recently watched it again, and it's just it's stunning, and uh, and long, and <laughs> and a little confusing. But I mean, all these things, and it's disorienting. It's just disorienting, as, as and and just makes you think. It's uh, it's psychedelic. It's it's as 
at times it's 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 hard science fiction in a way that, that mm-hmm. feels so real that feels more real than it, it feels like a, a more real version of the future a more genuine version of the future than we actually have grown into and then uh, and then there's other stuff in it that is just completely out there that's just you know the the mind meeting the unknown but there is one scene in which uh, astronaut Dave Bowman uh, Dave what are you doing Dave that Dave, Dave. <laughs> you can do the Dave voice do it Dave what are you doing Dave yeah are you taking off your clothes and going for a spacewalk? Well, he doesn't do it in, in the nude, but uh, he spacewalks for about 15 seconds with mm-hmm. no helmet. And uh, it doesn't appear to cause him any pain. Uh, he's, he re-enters the Discovery through an open hatch and just carries on. And the modern viewers, he just comes off like a, like a complete badass because he's just he's unfazed by it. He's just like, all right, I just drifted through the void, no helmet on, now I'm good to go, I'm going to go shut down this computer. So there's that version. Uh, then there's, uh, there's Mission to Mars, in which t- Tim Robbins takes his helmet off mm-hmm. and his face like instantly freezes and distorts and he's dead just in, in a, a second. Um, it, which is, I think, a, a typical response to watching that movie in its entirety as well. Um, there's Outland, which is really a, a very enjoyable film. I don't know if you've seen this one. This one was a Sean... I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's, it's great because you have Sean Connery uh, as the good guy and uh, I think, believe Peter Boyle plays the villain, mm-hmm. and it's like a mining colony in space. It's basically a space western. Uh, I mean, it, it is a straight-up space western, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, I secretly hope that uh, Nicholas uh, Winding uh, Refn will, uh, will will do a remake of it. It'll probably never happen, but I think he would be great for it. But there are a whole bunch of scenes where uh, guys in spacesuits are shot, it ruptures their suit, and then their heads uh, swell up like a balloon and then pop. Oh yeah, and it's nice. uh, you know, and, and to, to the modern viewer, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. But as we'll discuss, it's complete hooey as far as what would actually happen. Um, there's the movie Event Horizon, which uh, is a supernatural space film that uh, teenage Robert Lamb loved, uh, could not get enough of. Uh, modern Robert Lamb does not really want to see it again. But um, in this uh, film, a character passes through space without a suit briefly, and he survives. But it's a very um, traumatic experience, and I believe he suffers some sort of blindness from it. Um, and they are also, um, I believe they prep him by getting him to uh, to push all the air out of his lungs before he goes. Now, in Sunshine Communications Officer, Harvey tries to jump from one spaceship to another. Yes. And he tries to do it without a suit and doesn't quite make it. And within a minute or so, freezes he freezes. His, his arm is really so brittle that it breaks off like an icicle. Yeah, which makes for good cinema. I mean, you know, Danny Boyle is a great filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So Sunshine is a beautiful film to watch. But uh, not not all the science is going to really line up there. But some of the things that you're hearing already, swelling, freezing. Uh, what else? Is there any other? Swelling, freezing, exploding. Um, I don't know if any of these, uh, none of the ones we looked at really went into burning. But uh, that is a concern. It, it would be easy to uh, say, oh, you would just catch fire. Or, well, you wouldn't catch fire, but... I don't know, you would just turn into beef jerky, I guess, could be another possible example, and I'm sure somebody has used that somewhere in science fiction. Right, although we don't get, that's not an angle that comes up much, but it is a real possibility. So I, I could see it being a, a possible distortion of what could happen, yes. Right, and these distortions really do have some basis to them. It does not mean that if you were to take off your spacesuit that you would explode, but it does mean that there's a measure of swelling going on in the body, and we'll get uh, more into that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what's so intriguing about this idea, that's death, death by vacuum. Yes. So at this point we should we should take a step back and let's say let's look at space itself. Let's look at the void and discuss exactly what this environment is. And then we'll say we'll we'll 
answer the question, what would this do to an individual without a spacesuit, an individual without a helmet, or indeed a naked Benjamin Franklin just floating about without restraint, with, with less restraint than usual? Well, um, one of the things I wanted to mention, although it has really no impact on, on whether or not someone would explode in space without a spacesuit, is sound. Okay, there is no sound in space, right? Right. Sound travels by making molecules vibrate. So in order for sound to travel, there has to be something with molecules for it to, to travel through. On Earth, sound travels to your ears by va- vibrating air molecules in deep space, the large empty areas between stars and planets. There are no molecules to vibrate. There is no sound, making it that much more creepy for our sci-fi body explosion to happen. Yeah, in space, no one can hear you scream, right? That's the... That's the alien tagline, right? That's his his tagline. So, yeah, so in space, we have the void. We have a vacuum. So, first of all, obviously, there's no oxygen. That's just the no-brainer. But, of course, there's furthermore, there's no atmosphere. There's no atmospheric pressure hugging you in. We've discussed in in, uh, the podcast we just recorded about emotions in space that, of course, here on Earth, there is air pressure. There's all this heavy air. It doesn't seem like it has any weight or pressure to it, but it's constantly pressing in on us. It's hugging us. It's like a corset that we have worn so long we no longer realize we're wearing it. But take that corset off and stuff's just going to float free. That's right, because there is an absence of matter in space. Also, the temperature. It's cold. Yeah, it's... uh the. Certainly, space itself doesn't really have a temperature because it's just the void. Uh, so... I mean, here's the thing. When it comes to heat transfer, there are basically three ways that it takes place. There's radiation, there's convection, and there's conduction. Uh, radiation is the only method of heat transfer for objects in a vacuum. So you end up in, in the situation where uh, even though the, the void around you is not going to be, uh, you know, pressing up against you with some temperature, mm-hmm. you're exposed to some really severe uh, examples of uh, of temperature variation. Uh in, in terms of really cold uh, stuff and then also really hot, uh, the, the heat coming from the radiation. For instance, uh, NASA's bulky white spacesuits that they wear on the right. spacewalks. So let's say you're out there, you're working. Uh, let's say you've got your back turned to cold, dead space, and then your your front is turned toward the sun. Well, they have found that there can be uh, upwards of a 275-degree uh, Fahrenheit difference from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. Just based on where you're, you're facing, just that kind of an extreme. So the white is reflective, and you're not absorbing that heat. Right. It's another uh, one of the other things that springs to mind too is uh, uh, lunar dust. Uh, back when we were sending people to the moon, uh, you had to be concerned with the fact that all right, you have this, this white uh, spacesuit, and it's reflecting all of this uh, solar radiation. So it's uh, you know it's keeping you from absorbing all of this heat. Uh, you're reflecting it, but get coated in some dark moon dust and suddenly you'll start absorbing it and it could bake you alive. Not a good way to go. Not a good way to go. Uh, and that's not really a, a plot line you see much in sci-fi movies. No, but it could be used as a weapon. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a, it's, it's an underutilized uh, idea there. You know, it's like all you need is a black paint gun. Uh, it goes without saying that in a vacuum, most liquids have a such a low boiling point that they vaporize almost instantly, but that is a reminder that we just don't have moisture floating around in space. In fact, uh, in the past, when astronauts have urinated, the results were expelled into space, mm-hmm. where it boiled violently, and then the vapor then passed immediately into a solid state. It's a process known as desublimation, and you end up with a cloud of really fine crystals of frozen urine. 
which is sort of a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard it uh, described as being uh, fairly beautiful. In fact, I think that some astronauts had mistaken those crystals for distant stars. <laughs> there are some accounts of that. And name them after themselves, yeah. <laughs> All right, but you've touched on something with the uh, with the with the liquids boiling because yes. you often hear the idea too that oh, if you're exposed to the void, your blood would boil and you would just it would just be this awful mess. Like, and, I mean, just that idea of boiling blood is just hellish and awful, and it, you can see where people would really get attached to the notion. So you have these visions, you know, of, of blood boiling in the skin and like you know blood vapor coming out of people or it making you inflate and explode. And of course, that's that's not going to happen. Um, because of the containing effect of the skin in the circulatory system. So you'd swell a bit. Mm-hmm. Naked Benjamin Franklin would kind of bloat a little bit. Uh, but the, but the more. body, yeah, more. <laughs> but the body itself is its own kind of pressure suit for this kind of thing. And, uh, and it keeps dissolved tissues uh, in a liquid state. So uh, only body fluids directly exposed to the vacuum would actually boil away. And uh, Mary Rose says, as happened to a 1965 NASA test subject in a leaky spacesuit in an altitude chamber, the last thing he recalled before losing consciousness was the sensation of his saliva bubbling on his tongue. Which is kind of awful and cool yeah. at the same time. Um, let's talk about spacesuits real quick, just because I want to talk about how they do actually protect uh, astronauts in space. Mm-hmm. They have pressurized atmosphere. So the yes. spacesuit provides air pressure to keep the fluids in your body in a liquid state. Uh, oxygen. Spacesuits must apply pure oxygen because of the low pressure. And then, of course, you've got regulated temperature. Now, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we can talk about what happens when you strip off that spacesuit. All right, we're back. So, we've been talking about... Uh, some of the, the science fiction ideas about what happens when you take your spacesuit off in the void. We've uh, mentioned uh, some of the attributes of the void. There's no air. There's no pressure uh, that uh, the solar radiation can just quickly heat things up uh, a whole lot to uh, to pretty uh, uh, hellish uh, temperatures. And then likewise, the, there's the, the cold, chilling void to concern yourself with as well. So... We've been ta- tackling the question, what, what would actually happen? What actually does happen when the body's exposed to this kind of environment? Well, uh, you rip off your spacesuit and you get about 15 seconds, some say between 9 and 11, depending. Uh, and that is about roughly how much time it takes for deoxygenated blood to uh, circulate from your lungs to your brain. So when I say you get 15 seconds, it's mm-hmm. 15 seconds of consciousness left. Yeah, and this is going to be the big kicker. Uh, you know, for for what's happening out there, this is ultimately going to be the the factor for a naked Benjamin Franklin on the uh, exterior of the right. Of the I spaceship. mean, it's kind of awful because it could be 15 seconds where you witness your demise, or it could be 15 seconds, uh, and if someone can act quickly, well, then you could be resuscitated. It is possible, um, but the deal is is that the, the sucking the the air from your lungs is a part of why. But the deal is, is that the sucking the air from your lungs is is really part and parcel of why your demise would come on. See, when you're placed in a vacuum, the gas exchange process works in reverse. Your lungs actually pull oxygen out of the body and dump it back into the lungs where it's exhaled, which only serves to hasten the onset of hypoxia. Yeah. Yeah, the, the air rushes out explosively even and can really damage the lungs and the throat. Um, 
And it's all because of this tremendous pressure differential uh, inside versus the outside. Yeah, and as you had mentioned, um, the the spit, any sort of liquid on your tongue and sweat on your body would boil away. Um, this has been described as a fizzy feeling like drinking soda. And water vapor will form rapidly in the soft tissues and somewhat less rapidly in the venous blood, causing swelling. Yes. So there's this idea of, well, you know, our sci-fi idea of exploding. Yeah, and also it comes back to that, uh, I believe is the event horizon um, scene where they said, make sure you get all the, the air out of your lungs because you're about to be exposed to the void. Yeah, apparently holding your breath makes it worse. Yes. Do not hold your breath when exposed to a vacuum. Um, the number of other factors that, that can come into play, I mean, uh, this can essentially give you the bends. It can force uh, air bubbles into your blood vessels. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a whole lot of nasty things that can happen to the human body without even getting into the, the, the realm of uh, exploding heads. Yeah, just the moisture in your nose, eyes, and mouth um, that evaporates, causing localized frostbite. As you had mentioned before, exposed skin begins to burn. Um, so you get an extreme uh, sunburn. Your dermal tissues begin to swell. And uh, when it comes to the idea of freezing or turning into beef jerky, uh, well, for, first of all, it's, it's worth noting that, that you would have to worry about getting a pretty bad sunburn. Uh, if you were out there without a suit, but in terms of like freezing solid and shattering, like in sunshine, right. or going all uh, you know frozen face like Tim Robbins uh, in Mission to Mars, uh, here's a quick quote from uh, Phil over at Bad Astronomer, and he says the human body holds a lot of heat, and it would take a long time to freeze. Have you ever found yourself literally freezing solid when you go outside on a winter's day? No, of course not. Yet losing heat by transferring it to cold air is far faster than doing so by simply radiating it away as you would in space. If it it takes a long time in frigid air. It would take even longer in frigid space. So there you have it as far as the, the idea of shattering astronauts. Uh, it would take a, You would have to find a, an astronaut that had been floating free for quite a bit before they're going to actually just, you know, break into pieces. Right, right. Your body's going to cool slowly, relatively coolly, uh, or s- slowly, I should say. And then the hypoxia that you experience really does have its own set of issues, including a loss of vision, of course, wits at that point, mm-hmm. uh, followed by convulsions, um, loss of consciousness, and uh, cyanosis when your skin turns blue. So at this point, you're not dead, really. Um, you're just kind of you're on your way there. Your brain is still functional, and your heart is still going. And you can still be revived according to NASA, with surprisingly minimal permanent injury if if you are immediately returned to an atmosphere and this savior window is only 90 seconds long. Now, there was an accidental experiment with this. Yes. And uh, NASA actually has this on their website in the section that fields all the various questions they get. They say at NASA's Manned Spacecraft Center, which is now renamed Johnson Space Center, we had a test subject accidentally exposed to a near vacuum in an incident involving a leaking spacesuit in a vacuum chamber back in 65. He remained conscious for about 14 seconds, and uh, they were they began to repressurize the chamber within 15 seconds, and then he regained consciousness. So he was fine, but, you know, all those things did not happen. His blood did not boil. His eyeballs did not, uh, you know, explode out of his head. Yeah, based on everything that, uh, that we've been reading, when you compare real life to fiction, when you compare science to science fiction, the 2001 uh, example is pretty spot on, except he wouldn't be so spotless on the other side. It would, He would look and feel like he'd kind of been beaten up a lot more from that brief spacewalk. Um yeah, because in addition to that swelling, you'd have a lot of bruising as well. Yeah, so he'd be pretty battered. He wouldn't just, you know, shake it off, no matter how, you know, tough an astronaut he really is. 
Yeah. So our Ben Franklin would be, uh, he'd be okay in that 90 second window, a little worse for wear, but he would be okay. Now, I can't help but think back to uh, some stuff we talked about in our episode, uh, The Werewolf Principle, where we talked about cyborgs in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, cyborgs in space, of course, was this uh, paper by Manfred E. Kleins and Nathan S. Klein, uh, published uh, in Astronautics in September of 1960. And it was pretty pivotal. Like They basically invented the word cyborg. Um, and they were talking, uh, I mean, their whole thesis here was, let us consider changing the organism to meet the demands of a new environment mm-hmm. instead of bringing a portion of that organism's native environment with them into hostile environments. In other words, the whole problem with ex- with humans exposing themselves to the void and suffering all this damage is because surprise surprise we are not meant we 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 are not meant we are not we have not evolved to live in that kind of an environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so to what extent could we change ourselves to better deal with an environment like that? Here's a quick quote from that paper just to refresh everybody. They said, If man in space, in addition to flying his vehicle, must continually be checking on things and making adjustments merely in order to keep himself alive, he becomes a slave to the machine. The purpose of the cyborg, as well as his own homeostatic systems, is to provide an organizational system in which such robot-like problems are taken care of automatically and unconsciously, leaving man free to explore, to create, to think, and to feel. So among the various things that the, that the author suggested, uh, they brought up enzymes, uh, enzyme tinkering to create uh, anaerobic organisms, in other words, astronauts, that don't require air or can live in different atmospheres, mm-hmm. lower body pressure uh, to facilitate uh, spacewalks. I don't know about naked spacewalks, but <laughs> to, to make it less of a, you know, a, a, a differential, um, and, and various other options as well. So, it, so it's not quite a magic ball that allows us to see exactly what we might be doing in the future, but, uh, but I love that, that even this, this older paper did force us to, to think about an age when we're, we're changing ourselves to deal with space. Well, and... Um you know, you have European Space Agency tests that are looking at something like an arthropod-like creature, a tardigrade, to try to find out why this particular creature can survive in the vacuum for up to 10 days. Yeah. You know, what's what's special about what's going on in, in, in its physiology and what might we borrow from it? Now, as you mentioned, that that um, that paper really was prescient in the, in the sense that it was trying to figure out the various ways that we would try to adapt ourselves with the technology that mm-hmm. we have. Uh, we know that Mars is on the books for the 2030s, or at least that's the idea, right? Uh, now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be taking naked spacewalks, but the longer we are in space, uh, the the more time that, you know, that if you're on a three-year mission, um, the more your chances of having these sort of uh, issues come up with spacesuits, uh, depressurizing, and so the more interesting this question becomes, what yeah. happens when you expose yourself to the vacuum? And it's not just this, you know, romanticized death drive of just floating off into space, you know, forevermore. But it really is this fascinating question of how, what actually happens to yourself hmm. and how, how could you, so you know, go beyond your human limits? It also, I can't help but think, uh, I guess the, 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 the fiction, uh, writer and sci-fi fan of me, uh, can't help but imagine, what if, what if we, we reached a point where exposure to the void was, uh, like a rite of passage, you know? Like, um, like, like I think back, think to various things here on Earth that, that Like the interstellar people, rite of passage? Well, yeah, like to, well, like for instance, I think to the George R. R. Martin books, and there's like a, there are a, a, 
a group of people there that live in the Iron Islands, and uh, they're all sort of like Vikings. Mm-hmm. But um, but they have this rite of passage that they all go through where they're all essentially drowned and resuscitated, mm-hmm. and it's about forging their relationship with the water and uh, and uh, and their 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 religion and the way they view the water and their eventual return to the ocean in the form of drowning or death. So I, I can't help but imagine something similar with uh, with with astronauts in the future. Like what if what if to become a man or to become a uh, you know a, a full fledged adult uh, spacefaring human, you had to do those nine seconds in the void, you know, and, and be changed by it. I'm just imagining this uh, future Tony Robbins. Yeah, like, yeah it's like a, like, exactly. Years, That's right? what, I, what I was I guess thinking about was like the, the firewalking. Fire yeah, yeah, a very extreme, very dangerous form of firewalking. We've terraformed several planets. Yeah. we've got this interstellar rite of passage. If you want to show your, your how strong you are as a human, then you will expose yourself to the void. Yeah, surely somebody's done that before. If they haven't, I thought of it first. So, cut me in on the deal. That's, That's all right. I ask. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, spacewalk, nude. Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin. He's not going to explode. He's not going to boil, but he he's he's going to die. That's all there is to it. But uh, unless he gets inside within a certain amount of time. And, 90 uh, seconds. 90 seconds. And we have some people on hand to revive him. On that note, let's call over the robot and have a little listener mail. You know, we heard uh, we heard a lot of stuff back uh, regarding our episode on watch stoppers, on the idea that uh, some people just cannot wear watches because they have crazy electronic uh, signals going on in their bodies, or they've got magnetic powers, or they're living too close to high high tension wires, uh, etc. Uh, so we did a whole episode, sort yeah, of that, looking at that from a skeptic. That kind of stirred stirred the beehive a little bit. We did, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm going to read just a couple of the, the replies we received here. Um, with uh, various ideas about it. Uh, this one comes to us from Jen. Jen writes, this is, hi, Robert and Julie. I recently listened to your podcast on debunking the myth about individuals who claim they can't wear watches. I am relieved to say that I was someone who thought I killed my watches, and with good cause. About three years ago, I went through five batteries in about three months and just one watch. I then went uh, on to wear other watches, my backups, I suppose, that all went dead within a short amount of time. I finally gave up. Around the same time, I was at a, the doctor's office in an exam room when the clock on the wall uh, spontaneously went crazy, spinning forward in time three hours in just ten minutes. And you know that's because when you're in a, a doctor's room, the clock never moves <laughs> You are watching fast. it, yeah. yeah. The staff had to take it down and take out the batteries and then made a comment about my breaking the clock. Sadly, none of this translated into time-stopping superpowers for me, no matter how much I tried. Uh, after listening to your podcast, I decided to get another battery for my dead watch. I'm happy to say that after 24 hours, it is still ticking. Thanks for, for the podcast and keep up the good work. And who was that from? That was from Jen. All right, Jen. Let us know if it's still working. I would be curious to know that. Yeah, because as I mentioned to uh, uh, one of our listeners on Facebook, uh, uh, was was a little irritated with the uh, with the skeptics uh, approach, and um, you know, I, like I told her, I would love to live in a in a world where humans had these powers. So, if there's evidence that it uh, that it that it that it happens, I would love to hear about it. Well, in her case too, wasn't it uh, just a bunch of different electronics that? Um yeah, and I were I, affected by her. Yes, and yeah. uh, it's I, not just. I think she wanted to send us uh, some sort of paper she found. So yeah, I which holding, I would love to yeah, see. I would that, love to that see that. So really I'm holding cool. off on, on reading any of her, of her comments until uh, uh, such time as she supplies that. Uh, but we have a few other ones here. Uh, heard from 
Eric, and Eric writes in and says, the first thing I wondered when you were talking about watch stoppers was, can they wear the old-fashioned mechanical wind-up type of watch? These watches are powered by a spring that you have to wind up every day. No battery, no electricity. You did mention the shielded watches. I bet that would work, uh, not because the watch is shielded, but because it's a higher quality. I never st- uh, stopped a watch, but I did have a very cheap watch that caused my entire arm to swell up and turn red. It was very painful, uh, but the watch was still working when I threw it away. Well, at least you threw the, the, the uh, watch away and not the arm. All right, and we also have a uh, few uh, Facebook comments about the issue. Summer writes in and says, Good morning. I just finished uh, listening to your podcast, Watch Stoppers. And I immediately thought of my mother. She has always been one of those people who couldn't wear watches, but she has also had issues regarding all electronics. She worked for a company that manufactured circuit boards, and all employees needed to wear a grounding band so they wouldn't short-circuit the boards while working on them. When my mother first started working there, the QC department noticed a lot of her boards were coming back dead. So they ended up testing her with a machine that registers static electricity. As a result, they discovered that even with the band on, the area around her was still off the scale, and the only way that they were able to combat it was to have her wear three bands at any given time. Also, when we signed up for our cell phone plan, I got my mother the same phone, iPhone, as the rest of our family, and to this day she can never keep a charge on them. I say the, them because we've swapped it out at least two times for more than three to four hours. So while I'm sure some things are situational, like my mother's television screen outputting in green, bad tube, I couldn't help but think there might be some credence to her claim that electronics and her don't have the healthiest relationship. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Summer. Well, you know, I can't help but think about Michael Persinger, who I think I bring up probably like once every two months. But he is the guy who um, worked with transcranial uh, magnets Mm -hmm. and was able to actually manipulate parts of the brain that um, had to do with seeing visions through these magnets. And he found that some people were more susceptible to the magnets than other people that had a Hmm. high lability or a low lability. And um, so there's sort of a question mark to me about what that means in terms of electromagnetic activity. I still stand by, you know, a watch is a watch, and we tend to bang it around, but that uh, that particular experiment is very interesting to me, the transcranial magnet. Cool. All right, we also heard from Kelly. Kelly writes in and says, Hello, guys. I love the show and the blog. I wanted to write in a tangential response to the uh, past two podcasts on wa- human watch stoppers and lightning rods. My problem is that touchscreens don't work for me. iPhones, iPods, e-readers, and many other devices that are becoming so common in everyday life are closed to me due to this handicap, including the self-checkout at my local library and many ATMs. While trying to figure this out, my very clever daughter pointed out that as a healthcare worker in an inner-city hospital and minor germaphobe, I wash my hands dozens of times per day and also use alcohol-based sanitizers near as often. Throw in a couple of surgical scrubs with ionized soaps, and my hands are chronically dry and cracked despite the best lotions my pharmacist uh, can recommend. All this washing has effectively removed the moisture and sweat from my skin, thus I cannot transmit a charge to from a device. I find some help if I use a stylus because the, me- the metal of the body of the stylus touches more of my hand palm and increases the chance of making a connection. In times of desperation, I have resorted to licking my fingers to get it to work. This is a real problem. More and more of the machines I interact with as part of my work are using touchscreen technology. While some of them might use different types of screens, uh, resistive, surface, acoustic, wave, there are enough uh, ones like this that I'm getting very, very frustrated. Thought you might like the story. Perhaps some of your listeners have a similar problem or know of a solution. So far, my best response is to hand the phone to my teenager who rolls her eyes at how mom can't use technology. <laughs> well, there's the hot dog method I think we brought up, the idea of using a hot dog as a stylus. 
Yeah, that's pretty um, a pretty good way to yeah. go. And I imagine yeah. vegan would work uh, as well. There's I mean, less grease. Yeah. Yeah. But that's interesting, an uh, interesting firsthand account of uh, some of the, the problems uh, that can occur when we're trying to interact with this uh, ubiquitous uh, technology. True. And then finally, we heard from Sean, who writes in and says, Hi, guys, I was just listening to the Human Lightning Rod episode. I can say from experience that a car is a safe place in a storm because I was inside one that was struck by lightning. I'm an archaeologist in upstate New York, and I was driving back in the rain from the day of excavating on the New York State uh, thoroughway. We were at a toll plaza, and when, bang, there was a flash of light and the car stalled. I Scream some words you can't say on the podcast. <laughs> we managed to restart the car and limp back to the university at Albany. In the parking lot, we saw that the bolt had hit the top rear brake light and exited through the rear right tire, which was now flat. Nobody was hurt, just really shaken up. What was really weird was that the rest of my crew, only a few cars behind us, didn't see anything happen at all. Love the show, Sean. Have you ever been in the car when lightning struck nearby? Not to my knowledge. Very disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and thank goodness there's the Faraday effect in play, right? Yeah. Keeping you safe inside. Cool. Well, you know, if anyone else has any uh, comments or personal accounts uh, related to lightning strikes and watches that mysteriously stop working or other electronic devices that we have trouble interacting with in a chronic fashion, we would love to hear about it. And we would love to hear about your thoughts on this episode about uh, naked spacewalks, about taking your helmet off in outer space. Um about the science, about the science fiction. I know there's some great examples from science fiction that I didn't mention or am not aware of, and I know you guys and gals will fill me in on that, and I'd love to hear about them. So, uh, in the meantime, if you would like to reach out to us, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Tumblr. We are Stuff to Blow Your Mind on both of those. You can find us on Twitter, where we are Blow the Mind. You can find us on YouTube, where we're doing all these videos now, and uh, you can find that by going to Mind Stuff Show or Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Uh, both of those uh, accounts go to the same place on YouTube. And hey, we have a website where all of this stuff is wrapped up into one place. If there's something you're looking for related to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, this is the mothership. And you can find it at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. And speaking of YouTube, check out our sister podcast, Kristen Conger of Stuff Mom Never Told You on YouTube. She has got some really great stuff there. Very funny. It's YouTube.com forward slash Stuff Mom Never Told You. And don't forget to drop us a line at BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 